What a trip. Collectors once again return to Fishkill, New York for this year's annual event, hosted by the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club. Running from August 12th through the 15th, the annual consisted of activities like a hike along the Storm King Mountain in the Hudson Valley, group trips to local toy shops and antique stores, tours of two legendary Star Wars collections, and a boat cruise on the Hudson River. The main event, also titled The Annual, occurred on Saturday in the ballroom of the Comfort Suites Hotel in Fishkill. It was a nine-hour function that consisted of dinner, a charity auction, room sales, and five collector-themed panels that explored various aspects of Star Wars memorabilia. I was asked to present a panel at this year's annual, and was honored to do so. And I came up with an idea I thought you and our fellow collectors would enjoy. Last year, I started a series for the podcast titled Amazing Finds. And to me, it seemed like a natural fit for a presentation. After all, collectors love hearing about the finds, and we love learning the stories behind how these epic pieces surfaced and found their way into the collections of those within our community. And when you have a group of longtime collectors together in the same ballroom, the stories they bring with them are truly some of the best ones out there. So for this panel, I asked my friends Matt George, Ron Salvatore, and Eric Janicki to join me on the dais to share some of the life-changing moments along their respective collecting journeys. During the panel, Matt recounted two stories. The first was a personal but profound one, and I thought it was the perfect way to kick off the presentation. When he originally told it to me, it lingered in my mind for days, and I found myself wondering which item from my childhood I'd put in its place, if I were one day lucky enough to stumble upon a piece that played a part both in my family's history and in my love for Star Wars. He also discussed one of the earliest and most iconic Darth Vader pieces in existence that he encountered while working on the book Engineering an Empire. And Ron, one of the creators of the annual, joined me for a chat about meeting the collector responsible for selling him many of the pieces in his collection today. Ron has almost every Kenner item created for the Star Wars line, and his pre-production and prototype run is seriously one of the best in the world. And while the pieces he picked up were amazing, even more incredible is the fact that this treasure trove continued over the course of a year. And Eric had one of the greatest finds in the history of Star Wars collecting. Do you know the story of the only carded, rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype ever created? It's certainly an amazing one, and one that you need to hear in Eric's own words. Okay, this is usually where the theme music plays, but we'll get to that in a bit. My panel is about to start, and I'd like you to come in as my guest. I think you'll really enjoy it. Here's your annual badge. That will get you into the ballroom. While I go set up, you can grab a drink from the bar. I've saved you a seat up at the front, where many of the other collectors are sitting. I hope you enjoy the presentation. I can't believe we're back for the second annual. Annual.
The last time a number of us were in this room, it was magical. Something happened that weekend of the first annual. It was alchemy pulled from the simplest ingredients. Collectors, food, conversations, presentations, a little bit of alcohol, and the collectibles that brought us together in the first place. It didn't take much though, and that's a testament to the heart of our club. First, welcome each and every one of you to this year's annual. This is the 10th anniversary of the Empire Star State Star Wars Collectors Club, and the best way to kick off the event was with a panel from two gentlemen responsible for starting the club, Jason Thomas and Thomas Quinn. Let's hear it for Tom and Jason. And we wouldn't be here today without those who created the annual and are hosting it this weekend. Steph and Chris Riley, Ron Salvatore, and Yehuda Kleinman, thank you so much for giving us memorable weekends. And to each of you, thank you for deciding to make the trip to, uh, to Fishkill for this weekend. Many of you had to fly here. You came from such exotic places like Pittsburgh, <laughs> Sounds exciting, right? Pittsburgh. Uh, you came from states like Tennessee, Georgia, Texas, Hawaii, North Carolina, Virginia, Wisconsin, and two states that I wasn't able to locate on the map, Canada and Australia. And those from Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York were able to drive here. And of course, Chris and Steph hiked to the hotel, so it all worked out nicely. Regardless of where you came from, or how you got here, or whether this is your 100th collector's trip, your first annual, or maybe your first ever meetup, you are part of this weekend. Just the fact that we are here together again is a blessing. And after going through some of the tougher days of the past two years, it feels like a miracle. We certainly learn not to take any of this for granted and to enjoy every moment. Even if that means we have to once again trudge over to Ron's house and pretend to enjoy looking at his collection as he shows us Hamilton played after Hamilton played. <laughs> at the first event in 2019, I hosted a podcast panel that highlighted the Empire State Club through conversations with some of the members who helped make it a meaningful experience for collectors and friends. In the panel's opening, I mentioned that I chose to spotlight the club because I felt it was more important than discussing any figure or any find. And for the first annual, it felt like the perfect topic. Now that we're familiar with the history of the club, I thought it would be nice to mark this year's annual by taking a panel in a completely different direction. I thought it'd be fun to dive into a topic that we collectors love, amazing finds. And this room is filled with collectors who have had some of the most amazing finds in our hobby. This is a series of conversations with a few of our fellow collectors about the vintage items they've uncovered over the decades. This is Amazing Finds, live from the annual. And this is Star Wars, prototypes and production. <laughs> Tatooine, in 
every planet in between. Star Wars, prototypes and production with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, monster. The Force will be with you, always. There's nothing better than a good Star Wars find. Whether it's a trove of collectibles formerly locked away in someone's attic, or a single piece that could electrify the hobby, these types of stories are exciting and part of why we collect. We're, not all, we're always looking for the next item to add to our collection, but we not only acquire toys, prototypes, and other memorabilia, in the process of acquiring things, we also add stories of our finds along the way. And we as collectors are not defined by these finds. They are at best random. Many things have to fall into place for these amazing pieces to fall suddenly into our respective laps. Some are acquired through hours of endless research or by tracking down former and current employees at companies like Kenner and Hasbro. But from there, the rest of the story is often a confluence of timing, of chance, and of blessings. Other finds seemingly come out of nowhere, where we just happen to be in the right place at the right time. It's often inexplicable, often magical, and often very humbling. And there's no place to celebrate some of the more notable finds than at the annual. Collectors love to swap stories. We love hearing them because each one is a compelling part of collecting and each story is a shared experience. We learn about what is out there, how pieces were discovered, its significance, its history, its place in our hobby, where it's traveled since surfacing and where it's landed. And the stories are often as amazing as the pieces themselves. And we learn about one another we see our connection to collecting mirrored in the breathless tales our friends tell. We get to know our, collecting, our fellow collectors better by hearing what moves them and what stirs something inside of them. And we connect more deeply to one another through our shared love of these pieces of cardboard, of wax, resin, ceramic, paper, or plastic. And when we hear a story, ones may be rarely shared publicly, we return to the moment of that amazing find with the storyteller. We get to ride along and to experience the anticipation, the shock and surprise, the tension of what might happen next, and hopefully the exhilaration of those unforgettable moments that often leave us speechless. So today, our friends have some truly amazing finds to share with all of you. I'd like to bring up a dear friend to kick this off. He has two stories, and the first one is a personal one, but is just as magical, if not more so, than any Star Wars-related find out there. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend and yours, co-author of the incredible book, Engineering an Empire, the creator of Kenner's Star Wars Toys, Mr. Matt George. My dude, how you doing? Is this thing on? All right. <laughs> it's on. Uh, so thank you so much for doing this first. I really appreciate it. Uh, I have a few quick questions I want to ask you, kind of a little lightning round. Um, so you and I have explored the Hakes auction catalog together. Which item from one of the past few auctions do you not own but wish you did? Uh, 
that J slot that sold a couple months ago, because that used to be mine, and I wish I still had it. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your favorite Empire Strikes Back figure sculpt? Zuckus. Oh, nice. Uh, pronunciation time. Rick Ali, Rick Oli, or Rick Olier? Rick Olier. It's got the okay. accent on the E. Right. Uh, who is your Who is your all-time favorite Quinn? Oh, Tom. No, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a chance to just. I want you to, to to think about it for a second. Who is your all-time favorite Quinn? Tom. 100% full stop. Okay, Final that's, answer. that's all we have time for today. So thank you for. No? No? Okay. Uh, you have a fantastic story that I just love dearly, and I asked you if you could share it uh, about the annual from last year, uh, from three years ago. You are a survivor, and uh, we're all happy that you, uh, you made it. So if you can, you can share that story with us. Yeah, I don't know why he wants me to tell this story, but uh, <laughs> one of the highlights was this group in front of me at this table right here. We all got really. Overindulgent on a few things last time, and suddenly felt the need to go to the diner. But the one across or down here, the parking lot was uh, closed, unfortunately. So, in our state, we thought it would be a really good idea to drive to the nearest diner, which was the Red Line Diner, about I don't know, ten minutes away. During the trip, I thought it would be a really good idea, while on the highway, to try to touch one of those little concrete divider things that were on the road. And then I thought better of it at the kind of the last second, and pulled my hand and. About that time, there's a, a sign coming down. Uh, we passed by a sign really fast, and I was about an inch away from hitting it, and I'm glad that, you know, I... Survived. Yeah. Well, Especially my right arm. Almost got uh, walrus manned. All right. I have... So I, um, you had told me a, sh a story. You shared it with me, and I just... I thought it was really special. Uh, to me, it's one of the cooler, amazing finds that we've, that we've ever heard because it's a, a really personal one to you. Uh, so if you want to share that as well, too, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, it's a cool story. It has about 1% to do with vintage Star Wars, but it's a really cool story, so I thought you would appreciate it. But, um, growing up, my great aunt was the first person that ever bought me a Star Wars toy, and I think she wound up probably buying me about 90% of what I ever had. And we would go to her house about every other weekend, and I would play with the Star Wars toys in her living room, like the did one of those gigantic TVs that was like the, the piece of furniture, basically, and that was the Death Star. I'd like draw a circle on it on a piece of paper and tape it on there, and that was the Death Star. And this chair that she had, it was this green, god-ugly chair, but um, you know that served as like all kinds of bases and Dagobah swamps and things like that. Sarlacc pit. <laughs> anyway, like the imagination poured out in my great aunt's living room, and um, that just kind of like ground zero for my Star Wars playing as a kid. So I, you know, I saw her every other weekend for, God, until I graduated and went off to college at UT down in Austin. And so the first thing I did whenever I went down to Austin was immediately started to look for whatever vintage Star Wars uh, secondhand shops that I could find. And so I, uh, during the course of it, uh, one of the places was a place called Hog Wild, and they sold a ton of vintage stuff, not just toys, but um, just everything under the sun that was old and unique. So um, my great aunt wound up passing away about 2005 and, and I didn't wind up taking anything from her estate. I kind of wish that I had taken that chair, and, um, but I, I, I didn't. And, um, and fast forward to 2010, this is in Austin, Texas. So it's about, I don't know, five hours south of where she lived. 
but I was looking for furniture, and I remember like that Hog Wild store sold uh, antique furniture, not just antique toys. So I went into it just kind of, you know, on the off chance that they had something cool furniture related, and um, I asked, you know, if, if they still sold Star Wars toys. They said they didn't, um, but I, you know, said, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and look at your furniture. So I started going to the furniture aisle, and like immediately, like through the frame of the doorway was my great aunt's old chair. And it had like the little cat scratches for her cats growing up and um, her, uh, like the, this, uh, the base of it stood out in a particular way and was scuffed at a particular point and, uh, you know, it had those, uh, those characteristics. So it was kind of interesting that like all those years later, my grandmother's chair that served as Dagobah and, and, uh, and whatnot turned up five hours away from where, uh, you know, she, went, uh, she lived her whole life. And you still have it. Still got it, yep, it's in my kid's room. All right, and, and I've also asked Matt to share a, a Star Wars-related story as well, too, that, that pertains to a, a very interesting find that he had, uh, and a really special one, uh, working with uh, his book, uh, Engineering and Empire, as well, too. So, Matt, if you could share that, too. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, Stephen and I, this is before Gary kind of came onto the project, but the first meeting we ever had in Cincinnati was in early 2016, and we had four people lined up. We had absolutely no idea what to expect. We had never done anything like this before. Um, we were just hoping that the people would actually show up to the appointments. So the first one um, was a former like head of sculpting for Kenner for a number of years, and we got there before, and we were you know like wondering if he's going to bring anything to show or you know if he'd even show. Well, sure enough, he did show up, and he got out of his car and got out a bag with him. So we're like, okay, at least he you know brought some stuff. Hopefully, he's got something cool to show us. So we get there, meet with him, and um, you know, after getting to know him, hearing his story, uh, he pulls out this binder, and the, you know, we open the cover, and the very first piece of anything we saw for our project for the book was the original sculpting notes for the Darth Vader sculpt. And it had like, like everything, every piece of correspondence between the, like, the Kenner liaison and the sculptor. In, in full details. You could see like from, I think that it was dated May 31st of 77, so really early. Um, anytime you see May 77 from Star Wars, like, you know, especially Ken has about as early as it gets. Um, so that, you know, we started turning the pages and we went from Vader to Luke and Leia to Stormtrooper and 3PO and um, Han, and, or, yeah, Han and Obi-Wan. So um, the fact that this first meeting was like the really, like, we saw this amazing stuff, um, kind of spurred us on and kind of kept the energy going for us to kind of uh, get, uh, complete the book, ultimately. But I kept thinking about that. Like, I wanted kind of that, be able to capture that feeling that I had whenever I opened that binder for the first time and saw that Vader paperwork. So a subsequent visit to Cincinnati, I asked the, the, the gentleman that had it if he would be interested in, in selling it off. And I, I made him an offer on it, and he wound up selling it. So. I've got it in my collection. I've got it all framed up. Uh, framed up. I can, I don't know, give it to you if you can put it on the podcast if you want to. But Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah that's the story. And I think he wound up, uh, I think all that stuff from that binder is in, in personal collections now. Um, all the coin paperwork and, and whatnot. So I, uh, pretty cool find. Incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt George. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Next, I'd like to bring up one of the co-founders of the annual, the owner of the definitive Rancor collect Keeper collection. Uh, we're all heading to his house tomorrow to see his collection. Please welcome our friend, Ron Salvatore. 
Hello and welcome, Ron. Uh, hey, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for everyone yeah. for coming. So you have a, a pretty interesting story. Uh, when you and I talked, you said that um, that you don't think you don't you can't remember if you've shared this one before, and I don't I don't think you have publicly. Um, no, I don't think I've told this one on another podcast or other public forum. So it's a it's a I'm sure I've told it to people in this room or they're aware of it, but uh, I don't remember sharing it publicly in the past. Very cool. Well, before we go into that, I have a few very quick questions for you. A <laughs> okay. lightning round. Uh, what is your favorite Star Wars figure? My favorite Star Wars figure? I don't know if I have an answer for that. When I was a kid, it was Luke Hoth, because I liked the, the realism of the sculpt. I always thought it was a really cool figure. So I'll go with that. Okay. All right. Uh, who is a collector you admire and why? A collector I admire? Oh, gosh. I have to choose, I mean, there's a ton, most of the people in this room for one thing, but I have to choose Todd Chamberlain just because he's like the most Christian, saintly man and pretty much never does anything wrong, so. <laughs> uh, what would you consider to be one of the most important discoveries of the past 30 years in collecting? In collecting? Like as a universal All activity? All Star Wars collecting. Oh, Star Wars collecting. Oh, man. Um... I don't know, David. I'll have to mention just one that springs to mind is when, um, for years, we couldn't figure out what that Luke and Robes figure was, what it represented, and then Chris, I think it was Chris Foss at first realized that it was pictured in a, a French catalog, and it was labeled Luke Jedi, and that finally solved the problem. I don't know if that's the most significant, but that's uh, one a, a discovery most, that sure. pops to mind as an interesting revelation that kind of changed my perception of... Of, of what that figure was, so. Okay, and then the last one, uh, you are a massive prequel and sequel trilogy fan. Uh, if you were forced to attend one of the two following panels, uh, which one would you choose? C.O. Bibble and a deep dive into the politics of the prequels, or somehow Palpatine Returns, a masterclass in sequel storytelling? Nobody puts C.O. Bibble in the corner, my friend, so I'm going with C.O. Bibble. <laughs> All right. Absolutely, absolutely. Give it up for that. Awesome. Uh, okay, so so your find is pretty special because it started pretty early into your your collecting history, correct? Um, yeah. So I started collecting in about '94 or '95, right in that area. And uh, I think this find it was basically in the '97 to '99. It was a long term. It was a long range find. Like it, it spanned a couple of years. So it was a '97 '99 timeline. So I've been collecting for about four or five years. Yeah, and then um, how did you how did you meet this person that opened um, this door for you? I actually, this is interesting. I don't think we talked about this when we reviewed this story, but I met this individual right down the road. A couple of minutes, there was I think a Fish Kill Holiday Inn. They used to do a, a yearly toy show, so it was like an annual toy show, okay. um, and it was one of the better ones in this area. And I went to this toy show. At the time, I was into custom figures, so I would make figures, and I made a cantina band, right? So there are all these figures that are made off Bespin guards with custom sculpted heads. And uh, there was a custom figure contest. It sounds, I would never do this now because it's way too nerdy, but I did it when I was like 18 or 19 <laughs> or whatever it was. And, and so we put it out as this contest and it won the contest because I don't think anyone else really submitted anything. There was one that was like a stormtrooper with some tape on its head or something, right? So I won the, I won the contest. And then this guy, he was an older dude. He probably in his, I say older, he's probably in his 50s to 60s at the time, um, older to me. And he approached me and, and asked to buy them. And I was like, I guess, like, and he offered, it was like a hundred bucks or something, which was a lot of money to me at the time. Um, so I was like, yeah, take them, I can make some more. And it, I got to talking to him, and it turned out that he, he claimed to be at least the second biggest collector in the world after Steve Sansweet. And I don't, 
I say claimed, but I'm not trying to imply that he was wrong because he may, volume-wise, he may actually have been the second biggest collector. Um, but I, there's no way to prove it, so I don't know. But that was his claim, um, and it turned out that he did have a massive collection, right? So I got to talking to him, um, and I kind of just, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say, I guess we were friends, like every, every once in a while, this is in the days, I had internet, but I, nobody else I knew was on the internet, right? So he didn't use that. So every once in a while, every month or a couple of months, we talked on the phone about various things. Uh, he would just tell me his, his collecting history. He'd been doing it since like the early 80s. I think he was like a retired cop. Nice guy. Um, and so one day he calls me and he just said, you know, he kind of had a gruff voice. He's like, hey, um, I'm thinking of selling myself. And I was like, okay. Um, is there anything you want from my collection? I'm just like, okay, I mean, this is a big question. I'm like 20 years old, don't really have any money, this guy's a huge collector. And he says, uh, I'll just go through the tapes and let me know what you want. And I'm like, tapes? You're, you're all thinking right now, what's he talking about, tapes? Because I didn't get to that part of the story yet. Um, this guy, he did not have anything displayed, he had a huge collection. Everything was cataloged in his collection on VHS tapes, right? So if he got a new piece, his wife or him would put it on a table, he'd start his VHS recorder, let it run for a couple of seconds, and then shut it off, right? And he'd just keep running that, right? And, and, and when he cut it all together, it would just be his collection. And, like, and so whenever he wanted to look at his collection or show some of his collection, you had to watch his tapes. And this guy, he had like eight hours of videotape, right? And you think, you're all collector shows, you're like, well, that sounds kind of cool. It's not cool, like this guy, he had every Adam Joseph button, every stupid comb, like every little thing, like like Duncan Jenkins, like the, he was Duncan before Duncan, and like he just had everything. He collected everything, so you'd be watching these things, and it would just like I know Chris Julius and some other people in the room probably have seen this, but it would just be like it'd be interesting for like three minutes, and then it would just you'd just be catatonic, you'd be like sitting there watching these like Hamilton plates go by on the video, and you fast forwarding, and it's still. But every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, there's a Power of the Force, Power of the Force Uncut Poochie, or there's a Quora, and he'd be like, oh, pause it, go back, go back, go back. Um, so anyway, he told me if I was interested in stuff from his collection, to go through the tapes. So it's like, <laughs> so here I am sitting, like, you know, for a while, hours and hours going through every tape, and making notes about the stuff I wanted. Um, and, you know, that's what I did. So I made a list of probably... 20 or 30 items, uh, you know, and then it was like store displays. Like, the kid had a Collecto 32 store display they didn't have at that time. He had a TIE Pilot 4-up. He had the uncut Power of the Force proof sheet with four unproduced characters on it. Uh, he had a revenge proof set. A lot of the stuff came from Steve Denny, right? Um, just, you know, premium pieces. He had a Gap hard copy, a Street hard copy. Uh, so a lot of that stuff was on my list, I gave it to him, and I'm like, all right, I'm figuring he's gonna tell me what he wants for it, and we're gonna get down. He's like, well, I'm gonna sell this stuff in a flea market, and I'll let you know when I'm bringing this out. And I'm like, flea market? You're gonna sell this stuff in a flea market? Yeah, okay, so I went down to the flea market, and it's basically like a hole in the wall, indoor flea market, and it's like, you know, this guy's selling, you know, used uh, pantyhose, this guy's selling like, you know, knockoff purses from, you know, China or something, and then you get to this, then you go to the next kiosk and it'd be like sealed, you know, 1978 Kenner Star Wars toys, like in pristine condition, and just like, whoa, I didn't expect to see this here, right, so he refused to pull the stuff I wanted out, he would just, bring it out as he wanted, and then he, his, his claimed his wife claimed that 
he had to sell it in the food market. He couldn't do it on the side. So I'd get a call on like Thursday or Friday. He'd be like, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it, how are you? Um, I, I'm going to bring the 32, the clipped off 32 out to the, to the food market this week. And I'd be like, okay, what did you want for it? He'd be like, 65. Like, all right, I'll take it, 65 bucks, sure. And at the time, that was a great price, but it wasn't worth anything like it is today, right? It was just like, all right, I mean, it's probably worth 200 at the time, so 65 was a good price. So I'm like, yeah, okay, um, can you hold it for me? Nope, can't hold it. Like, you know, I'm gonna, you're, it's on my list, you're gonna hold it, you're telling me it's coming up, you're gonna bring it, I'm gonna be there, can't you hold it? Nope. So I had to get there right when the place opened because I'm worried some rando pleb's gonna walk in there and pull this thing out for 60, I'm gonna be like, you bought my Collect All 32. Um, so, uh, other stuff on my list was like the three new figures sign, which I'd never seen before. Like that was like unknown. Like they just scrolled by on the, on that, um, on the VHS tape, and it was like three new figures. You know, uh, Tuscan Raider, uh, Death Squad Commander, and Jawa. And I was like, I never. Read, what is that thing? Is that like a trade ad? Is that a no? Is that that wobbler that just sold for like thirteen thousand dollars at Hakes, I think. Um, and so when I went down to get the Collect All Thirty Two. He's pulling it out of the box because I was looking for this three new figures. And he said he couldn't find it. But as he's pulling the Collect All 32 out of the box, the three new figures is under it, right? And he's like, oh, you can just have that. <laughs> so he just gives it to me. Um, so there was, I was buying a lot of stuff like that. I bought stuff like, I think I helped Gus Lopez get the Gaff hard copy out of that deal. Um, but I really wanted that Collect All, the, I mean, not the Collect All 32, the uh, Power of the Force uncut proof sheet. That's what I was really bothering him for. And I was like, look, I'll pay $3,000 for it. I think that's what it's worth. He refused to sell it because Steve Denny had given it to him. So uh, that he wouldn't sell, but he told me at the end, after I had bought all this stuff, I bought stuff for myself. I had people, um, other collectors from outside states calling me and asking me to buy stuff for them. And I had to ship someone a Huffy bike and disassemble it and mail it to them. And I'm sitting there like muling this stuff around for this guy because I, I wanted to help people out, but also because they wanted to stay on, on, his, on the source's good side. Uh, I also, the first place I met Todd Chamberlain was going to this guy's place in like 97. Eddie Albano he used to come up there and meet me there because he knew this guy as well. Um, but uh, eventually I wanted that Power of the Force Cut proof sheet and I did all this work for other people and he said, look, I will give this to you if you buy the rest of my collection. <laughs> and the rest of the collection was like Rawcliffe pewter, Hamilton plates. You know, stuff that you just wouldn't really want. And he wanted 3000 for it, so it was basically what I'd offered him for the sheet. So I bought all the junk. It wasn't all junk. There was some, like, Marco masks. I don't know if you're familiar with Marco. It was, like, a company that did re replica props way back in the day. Okay. Pete Vilmer's way into... In, uh, but I got, like, gorgeous, like, handmade Boba Fett prop helmets with, like, everything moved on it. I had this Greedo mask and hands that were, like, latex. All, like, this custom-made, unlicensed... And I sold it for nothing, but there was some good stuff like that in there, but most of it was just stuff you wouldn't want. So I bought everything. I got that Power of the Force proof sheet uh, for free. I sold all this stuff. That's one of the places I first met Duncan Jenkins was trying to sell all that stuff because he was interested in buying all this stuff that I didn't want. And he's like, oh, I need this Ewoks bag. I need this Star Tours pennant, you know, all this weird stuff. Um, so I sold all that stuff on the internet it made most of my money back, and I ended up getting that Power of the Force proof sheet. But like an idiot, I sold it in like 2008 for, to Tom Derby because he offered me a lot of money. I should have kept it. It was stupid. But How many pieces would you say you, you received in total? Like the good stuff and then everything else. Oh, man. It, oh, in pieces? I mean, thousands. I mean, I had, a, I had a huge list that was like stapled together. 
of everything. It was just like thousands of pieces. You know, I, it was in my. I still have stuff in my parents' attic that came from that that find, and it's just stuff you wouldn't really want. I got bookstore displays, just like tons of these big bookstore displays, like that from like the novels from the '90s that nobody wanted at the time. I, I think I threw them away eventually because I didn't know what to do with them. And, and you said you had to go to the flea market week after week. How long yeah. did that actually last for? Oh man, I, I would say it was about a year plus. And then finally, kind of like tapered down. Um, you know, I, a lot of the stuff on my list, I, I went to other people, but I ended up getting a good amount of stuff that w- had been on that list. A lot of store displays. A lot, you know, and then a lot of stuff that wasn't necessarily on my list. Like, like I didn't put like production toys on there because I was shooting for like the, the big pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you'd go to his place in the morning and he'd have a sealed, you know, original edition TIE fighter in cherry condition and he'd want like a hundred bucks for it, which was a good deal even then. So it's like, all right, I'll just, I'm not going to leave this here. So you're just buying these things you weren't anticipating. And I still have a lot of that, that stuff that I got. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I got blue stars. That was another thing I got from them. It was probably a few hundred bucks. A a sealed, a sealed uh, blue stars. Yeah. You see it at my house uh, tomorrow. So. Yeah. Very cool. And do you still have the, uh, the 30, the, the, um, the three figure wobbler? I do. The one I have in my case at my place is, uh, is the same one I got from him. I haven't upgraded it or anything. And at the time, like, nobody knew what that was. So that was like one of one. Like, people were like, oh my gosh, what is this? Uh, now, of course, other ones have turned up, but that was a really surprising thing at the time. You had mentioned to me when we talked about this uh, originally that he really kind of laid a, a pretty big foundation for what you had for your collection, correct? Um, yeah, in a lot of ways. A lot of the production stuff, like, I've carded figures I'd already had a lot. Um, but a lot of the, the really nice box things I got, I upgraded, and those are the ones I still have, because he had really nice box things. And just um, a lot of things. I like the uh, Irish Figures 3-pack I have in my case at my house came from him. He'd been buying a lot from like Toy Tokyo, and so he had like lots of different foreign things. I got two sets of carded Hungarian figures from him. I still have, you'll still see a set in my cases still that came from him years ago. Uh, I bought... Uh, a bunch of Polish figures, the Polish unarticulated and articulated loose figures that nobody had ever seen at the time. Like, that was the only place I'd ever seen that stuff. I remember I bought them for $20 a piece, and I'm like, man, that's got to be all right, $20 a piece. I've never seen these. It's got to be good. I remember I told Todd Chamberlain, he's like, oh, those ugly things. You paid $20 a piece for those? You know, I felt like such an idiot. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of those ended up with Joe Iglesias years later because he offered me crazy trades for them. But I still have a few of those as well. When you were buying the, all these pieces over the course of the year, did you ever turn around to yourself and say, I am now the second biggest collector after <laughs> <laughs> I cursed myself for being that when I had all that junk that I didn't want to get rid of, um, that I did want to get rid of. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, never, I never attained those, those heights of volume. But I, I did have quite a bit of stuff, man. It took my dad and me like several trips in an SUV to get all that stuff back. But just having all those Hamilton plates was so painful. I was like, man, I don't want these things. Especially at that time, too. Oh, to now even. It's always bad to have those. Yeah, but at that time, they were only like three years old. So it was like, what? I don't want these things. Jeez. Well, Ron, thank you very much. All right, uh, Ron man. Salator, ladies and gentlemen. It. He's going to stick around with us for a second. Thanks, David. I'm just going to get a chair over here. Okay. And then, uh, so... For our final amazing find, I asked a friend to recount a story that I had the fortune of hearing for the first time during the 2018 International Collectors event in New York City. 
I realized many of you may not be familiar with the story, or if you are, it's one you haven't maybe heard in a while, uh, but it's an epic one. So I asked him once again to share his experience with it and to hear how it connected him to many of the collectors he calls friends today. You may, ne- you may know him now as Yanache, but please welcome Eric Janicki. Thank you. He's the coleslaw of this one, so. Uh, Okay, here, a quick six. Um, Which figure or item kicked off your collecting journey? I'm gonna say perhaps it re-kicked off my collecting journey. It was a Leia poncho that was at a store in Wheaton, uh, a collectible store in Wheaton, Maryland, that I happened just to go by it when I was getting back into collecting, you know, after high school in the early 90s. Um, and I saw it and I was like, that's one I never had. And it was complete and it looked cool. And I bought it and I went back home and told my wife. And we were living with my mom at the time because we were having a house built. Um, and I remember looking at it going, is this the start of something new? You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, because I went to this store and I just saw all these figures in a case and I knew I didn't have that Leia poncho. So I'm going to say that figure. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Uh, if you had to eliminate one of the original 93 figures from the entire line forever, which would it be? Uh, Imperial Commander. Okay. I don't know why. No, it's that's just kind of Yeah, boring. kind of a bland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If he had a name, maybe it would be better. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apologies to all focus collectors out there. I'll try this one again. Uh, Who is your favorite Quinn? It's got to be Tom. Well, I mean, Eric Janicki, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time that he has for now. Uh, What is the strangest vintage or prequel item you've ever owned? Uh, I'm going to say it is a trash-drenched, wet store display that I pulled out of the Taco Bell dumpster. Okay. Um, I buy. I got plenty of uh, the cardboard standees and translites, and a lot of. Them, I remember going to my mom's backyard again. I was we were we lived with my mom twice because we were having houses built. Um, and one time, I took this big long Taco Bell banner in her backyard and brushed it with like soap and water because it was drenched in like you know soda and whatever taco juice there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I would say that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what is your personal favorite piece in your collection? I figured you might ask me this, and I, I, I have a lot, but there's one that I found several years ago that I forgot I had, and it was an elementary school yearbook from 1978, I think. Um, and a buddy of mine who's an artist now today, um, wrote his inscription in the back of the yearbook, signed it, and then drew a C-3PO and R2-D2 in pencil. And he was like a really good artist, even for like sixth grade, you know what I mean? Um, and I found that and I was like, that's just cool because even back then, that person knew I was really into Star Wars, you know? <laughs> so I would say that that's, that's one of my prized possessions. That's, yeah, I like yeah. that, beautiful. Uh, you, so you have had this incredible find um, that we've, we've spoken about a little bit, uh, you know, here and there, and, and maybe some people are familiar with it. Um, and it all pretty much started at a Walden Books, correct? Yeah, in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, so I'm from Maryland, and uh, at the time I was living right near Annapolis. And uh, I guess the story starts 
in the, in the late 90s, um, probably around 96 or 97, um, I would go into Walden Books and I would just check out what new Star Wars books were coming out at the time. Um, you know, either whether it was a novel or some of the collecting books that Sansweet had written. Um, but I would just go and just browse, you know, what books were there. And one of these workers would always come up to me and just start, you know, strike a conversation. He was like, oh, so I see you like Star Wars. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one, uh, one time he, you know, we would just chit chat about Star Wars. And then one day he says, well, you know, I have um, one of those rocket fets. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you do, you know? We, you know? And in my, instantly in my head I thought, here's a guy who has a normal Boba Fett and he thinks it's a rocket fed and he's just misremembering you know, his childhood piece or whatever. And I just dismissed him. And over the course of a couple years, I would see him several times because we would always go to the mall and I would always go to Walden Books and I would buy my books there, you know, you know whatever Star Wars novel. And he would always re recognize me and see me again. He was like, hey, if you ever want to see this rocket fed, let me know. And, and for whatever reason, I just... I just always thought he was one of those guys who was joking, not, not joking, but he just didn't know what he had. And at that point in time, um, you know, I was, I'm 50 years old now. So at that point in time, you know, I got through my childhood collection and I, I've, I never really stopped collecting, but it was a point where I, I started collecting again in the mid nineties and started reading these books and uh, started co uh, connecting with collectors. I'd met Andy Loney at a show and through him, we met people like Ron and, and, and Chris and Todd and, and um, you know, Rob Johnson, Rob Amatea, you know, all those kind of guys. Um, and I started learning more about the actual hobby and the collecting. So I, I kind of knew that this, there's no way this guy has a ro rocket fed, you know? And you know, just through you know, my education up to that point, and then um, I just stopped talking to him, you know, like, you know, I just didn't see him for a while. And, and that was, of course, over maybe two or, two or three years. And then something changed. So it was in 99, um, we had some uh, family over for, uh, it was a holiday, I forget which one it was. And my brother-in-law goes, hey, I just got back from Annapolis Mall, and this dude says he has a carded rocket fed. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I know that guy. He says, he says, yeah, but it's on a card. You know, it's like, it's all in a package. And I'm like, well, that's kind of new to the story. Like, he never told me that before. I don't recall, you know. And then I had another buddy who came and said, hey, have you talked to that, you know, that, that clown at the bookstore who says he has a rocket fed? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he said he had a carded rocket fed, it all changed for me. So I went back and talked to the guy, and I was like, tell me the story again of what you think you have. And so he, he told me the story, and um, basically he worked, back in 1979, he worked for a retail store outlet that had credentials to get into the New York Toy Fair. And he had a buddy who worked, I think, for Woolworths or Woolco, whatever that store was called, and he also was able to get into the Toy Fair. So him and his buddy went to Toy Fair, and his buddy knew that this guy loved Star Wars. So we went to the Kenner booth at Toy Fair, and at the end of Toy Fair, he swiped this, this figure from their booth. When, and, you, when you say swiped, you mean just straight pulled it off the wall, right? So the way it was presented to me is, he did not have permission to take it, I don't think, but somehow he got it, 
Yeah, he might have yahooted it, maybe. But he knew his buddy loved Star Wars, so he instantly gave it to his buddy and said, hey, the people at this booth said this is the, the latest and greatest new figure, and I thought you would want it. So this guy, the Walden Books employee, to, or the, the future Walden, you know, the, the guy who I met at Walden Books, took it home and then just kept it for years. And then um, he didn't really know what he had, of course. I mean, it was 1979 and 80, 81, you know, he just, he just kept it. But then when he started reading books by Sansweet and every, you know, and the collecting books, I think it was specifically the From Concept to Screen, the collectible book by Sansweet, Steve Sansweet, He's like, whoa, there's these rocket fets out there. Let me go check the one that I got from Toy Fair and see what it is. He always knew it was something weird because if you see the figure, um, there's no back to it, you know, and it looks almost homemade. Um, and so he... You're saying there's no back to the card. There's no back to the card, correct, yeah. So it's just a, it's a, a cardboard back, you know. It's not a production figure. So he went back and checked it, and by then the glue of the bubble was kind of so you know coming off, so he could take the figure out a little bit. So he took the figure out, and he was like, "Dang it, this is one of those rocket fets." And it was a J slot, you know, with the rocket. And, and so then, from that point on, that was you know the the late '90s. So he knew that Star Wars Celebration One in Denver was coming up, and he knew that Steve Sands would would, would be there. So he. He didn't take the figure with him, but he went to Celebration 1 and met Sansweet and asked him and then explained to him what he had. And I'm sure Steve had the same... I've never talked to Steve about this, so I don't know. I've never tried to reenact this, but I'm sure he had the same reaction I had. Like, yeah, guy, I, I'm sure you have a rocket fed. <laughs> but then the guy described it to him very specifically, and Steve said, well, if you have what you say you have, it's worth X amount. You know, it's probably worth this much. So from that point on, what was it, when was the celebration one? April 99? April like and that, May? Yeah. This guy had it in his head. He had something special, and it was worth you know, a certain amount of money. So then fast forward to when my brother-in-law tells him that you know, he, he talked to the guy about it again, and then I said, I need to talk to him again. When I went back and talked to him, he goes, yeah, and I just talked to Steve Sansweet, and he said it's worth this much. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, I had a chance <laughs> to get this thing without him, you know. But, you know, good for him. He had an awesome piece. He deserved to get what he got for it. So. But that's when I said, okay, let's really talk about this now. When can I see it? So we scheduled a time uh, to meet at the mall, and one of my best friends in life and one of the first collectors I met was Andy Loney. And he, at the time, lived in Maryland, um, and he lived, and I was like, Andy, come with me to the mall, and so we can see this thing. So we get to the mall, and we schedule time, and we're just on a bench in the mall, you know, look at, and he pulls it out, and we look at it, and our initial gut reaction was, this thing is legit. There's no way, like, anyone would make this up, you know, it just doesn't make sense, you know, and keep it for so long, um, you know, and I'm like, this is so bizarre. We're in a mall. There's people walking by, and I'm holding this figure. You know, usually you do this stuff at like a show or a hotel room. You know, but we're like doing it next to a Cinnabon. You know, it's like, so we look at it, and sure enough, we thought it was some sort of. It was we we definitely thought the figure was real. The it was a J slide. The the J was broken a little. There was glue on the hand where the gun was glued in. Um, so it it kind of matched up with 
this being the Toy Fair piece, you know, perhaps. And the card was weird. It wasn't like a production one, but it looked like it had the four little like things on the back where they would stick it up on a board. So Andy and I were like, this thing's legit. So I told him, you know, I'm willing to pay what Steve Sansweet told you it was worth. And so the guy thought about it. He hemmed and hawed. And eventually we uh, came to a deal and we went and ate at a food court afterwards and here it is just sitting here and the, and the funny thing is he i was like giddy about this piece right but he was more excited about this revenge of the jedi paperweight that he had that he got because because of his job he got in the special screenings you know like whatever charity screenings and he got this revenge of the jedi paperweight and um he just wouldn't stop talking about that you know and i'm like that's cool man but what you you know this carded rocket fed is where it's at and the, and the funny story is later uh, I found out that Jonathan McElwain who he and I are both in the DC uh, Star Wars collecting club together he told a story that this guy came to one of our events you know one of our roadshow events with this Revenge of the Jedi paperweight and wouldn't stop talking about it so when I told Jonathan the story years and years later he goes it has to be that same guy yeah. so we just thought that was kind of cool and then you were able to verify it with the help of Ron. Right. So one thing I want to stress is, um, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time with this. Um, you know, I had done my homework in collecting and, you know, educating myself. But the other thing I did is, you know, branching out and meeting other collectors. And what that brought me was a group of people who once I, you know, was very fortunate to run into this piece... I could say, hey, I know this much about it, but I want to now bring it to you guys and see what you think. So we were at a Pensacon, uh Jersey toy show. I think it was in Pensacon, and um, it, it was near Todd Chamberlain's house. And so I took that opportunity to take the piece and show Ron, Todd, uh, Will Grief was there, um, Chris, I think Rob Johnson. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I think my memory... And I have a super small part to play in this. It's mostly Eric, but it's just fun to kind of recount these things. I remember you trying to authenticate it. Maybe you sent a photo first. And, I mean, it's hard to look at a photo. Like, you, you, you saw it in person and knew it was probably real. But when you're looking at a photo, it's like, ah, I don't know. Um, it didn't have... I remember the fireball on the front was different in a way that, like, it, you couldn't really... Like, it was like... It was, the fireball's different, right? So... That's one thing that jumped out at you. And it just happened to be at that similar period in time, you know, myself, Chris Dragulius, Todd Chamberlain, you know, Eddie Albano and Gus Lopez had turned up some slides in Cincinnati. And you couldn't really tell what the, the slides showed. They were Toy Fair slides. But John Wooten, who's actually in the room today, took them home and he scanned them all, right? So, and he had scans and maybe like a week before, or it was a very close period of time before Eric had sent the photos of this rocket fit. John had scanned this slide from Toy Fair that showed a carded rocket fit in, in, in pretty good resolution where you could see it, and it looked exactly like Eric's, right down to the different fireball thing on the front that really you couldn't fake. There was no way that you could fake it randomly right. and have it line up like that. So it was like just fortuitous where it's like, oh my gosh, this guy just turned up this carded rocket fit that no one had ever seen photos of until, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So it was through the group efforts of various people and just, you know, l blind luck, we were able to help Eric, you know, determine that, yeah, it was most likely real. And if you, if each of you had to value this piece today, what would you estimate it to be at? 
just to give people an idea who maybe aren't familiar with this, with this piece, with the carded rocket fed. Go ahead, Ron. Uh, I, I'm a bad, I don't keep in touch with market stuff, but I mean, what the, the loose ones are going for what? Over 200, I think one went for, I think the last one went for less than that, but I would guess over 500,000 easily, way over probably. Yeah. But, but I mean, the exact number, I don't know. It's an epic piece, and uh, the good news is not only it's survived, but it's also, uh, Eric, you can... Yeah, so the cool thing is, um, you know, I, I sold it I, because of my life circumstances at the time. I had this, I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted just to get it and bring it to the hobby. I knew I couldn't own it long term for the price I had to pay for it, mm -hmm. but I wanted to make sure I got it and then it got it into someone's hands that uh, really wanted it. So over the course of the years, you know, um, it found its way into Paul Chu's hands, who's a member of the Empire State Club. And one of our great sponsors of this event, yeah, so absolutely. thanks, Paul. So um, I couldn't be more, I, I, I couldn't be any happier to, to know that he's owning it and he loves it. We talk about it often, um, so and I'm very happy. And we get to see it, too, as part of the yeah. Empire State Club. So, yep. well, my thanks to Matt George, Ron Salvatore, and Eric Janicki for sharing the stories behind some of their amazing finds. Thanks, David. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for being thanks. part of another panel, and uh, here's to the rest of the annual in Fishkill, New York. <laughs>